The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Thank all of you for being here. And when I see Diana and Andrew out there at the Willows, they're just, there's so many unbelievable uh, people in this church that work frantically and wonderfully to serve us, and I'm just so grateful for all of you. This morning, (laughs) maybe for once in my last few weeks, I won't break down as usual. I want to uh, uh, start with a subject that uh, was mentioned in prayer today. It's hard not to. Uh, You gave me the privilege to go with my wife, who, by the way, today is our, it's only our 46th anniversary, so... uh, Yeah, yeah, Uh, thank you so much. But um, we are, I I was privileged to go uh, to the funeral of Gret Glyer. Uh, Gret Glyer uh, is uh, the husband of Heather Glyer, and they have two little children, Galilee and Griffin. And his story is really amazing. I wrote, uh, I felt the Lord led me to this title, I Will Venture for Thy Name. It is from uh, Pilgrim's Progress, which is a distillation of the life of a man, and we'll, we'll talk about that some as we go through here. But, um, you know, Gret Glyer uh, is a, a, a man, a Christian witness, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who ventured for the sake of his Savior, the Lord Jesus. You know that he was tragically killed uh, a, a little over a week ago. Uh, he went to a, a, a little uh, 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 more recently to be in the near presence of his Savior, and he was always about that. If you heard the eulogies and the testimonies of the people there, it would describe a man who had given up security, wealth, and personal safety, left his home for Christ's sake, to find life and meaning. What he did was he was so stirred by the plight of uh, many third world people and others, by the poor, by the needy, by every force, he was so energized by the gospel, he was so personally created for what he did, you could see it on his face. I had the privilege of, of, of meeting his wife after the service. Uh, she goes to the uh, uh, mom's group here at the church. Uh, just that. She w- wends her way through a crowd of a thousand people and, and comes to us, to Melanie and I, and with the most gracious comments about you women in this church. Her husband has just died. They've just preached his funeral service and she's thinking of others. That shouts at us. That is about someone that is in living relationship with Jesus Christ. Such nobility, such royalty. It was amazing and yet her, Heather, and her husband, Gret, were all about reaching the lost at any cost and also in practical ways. He had been in Malawi. He had been an incredibly successful salesman and done all this fairly amazing stuff. We were exposed to it. And when you see his face, honestly, it glowed with the very life of Jesus Christ. I'm going off my notes here, but there's a a saying in Henry V, 
where they are about to fight uh, uh, their enemies in a titanic battle, England is. And he says, they shall hold their manhood sheep who were not there on that day. It was called St. Crispin's Day. They shall hold their manhood cheap. And when you see what this young man did, here we go, well, I'm not going to do it. For the sake of Christ, in reaching lost people in Malawi, and all over the world, and daring to go into office and office and office, begging for money, that Christ might be exalted in these places, and that there be a practical outcome to his life and his purpose. This was a child of great privilege. But you see something in his face. I tell you, I saw Jesus in him, friend. I saw it in his wife. God is at work in his people to dare and to venture for his name. Isn't that what the Son of God did? Isn't that why he is the most beautiful flower in all creation? And yet he died so ignobly. And yet he rose in majesty and splendor and power. And my hope is that people like the Gliars will be multiplied as they hear the message of one person, one, that was able to raise millions of dollars for the totally impoverished. One man. We're there at the service, and the governor of Virginia, God bless you, sir, wrote a note of praise and a sense of exaltation and a quoting of Scripture to describe his purpose and plan and what this boy did. It makes you proud of Jesus Christ because he lives in you, sir, and others in this room. God is at work in his people to do something more than we can ask or think. He wants to take us into the place of venture and, yes, in a sense, adventure, because that's what he did. He taught, Jesus Christ taught us how to live and die and love and weep and win the victory with grace and beauty. That's what Gret did. Our friends, that's what's called a disciple. I will venture for thy name. Let that be our song and calling. I'm going to repeat this at the end of the sermon, but there was a man whose name was John Bunyan, and I don't have time to tell the whole story, but he was a dedicated Christian who preached the gospel after he came from a sin-sick background and was so grateful for the grace of God that he began to tell people about Jesus. He was put in prison for 12 years, separated from his family, and had the risk of being put on a scaffold for the sake of Christ. He wrote a certain book called Pilgrim's Progress about the Christian life, and certainly it was partly inspired by what he had gone through and the titanic nature of the pressures similar to Greg Glyer that he endured. And yet it is also a thing of beauty that expanded, and many people have read it, just to look at the, this kind of progression of one man's life written in symbol and type. It's a beautiful thing. He had ventured for his Lord and Savior. It put him in prison, but something happened like a rock dropping into ready water, and circles went out into the whole world to translate and to put out that book about his life and experience. Even the worst that can happen, even death, even imprisonment, even a cross, God can use for his glory and purpose. Jesus Christ had just been on the mountain. He's raising up disciples like Gret. He's got them up there. 
They have seen his might and power. They have listened to his teaching. They have continued to be taught, and we talked about that last week, and they are becoming disciplined people, followers of the Lord Jesus, replicas of him, and they are given power and authority over dark forces, all the power of the enemy, and they are also granted from time to time, according to God's plan and purpose, miraculous events, healings, the opening of the sight of the blind. Things are given to them so that the world will change and know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus himself had three years to minister, and what did he do? He expanded, he ventured, he wasted no time, he gave himself fully. That is both an adventure and a pressing into the darkness with maximum light. And when his family heard that uh, people were gathering, it says they went home in uh, verse 20. And you're going to hear me go pretty rapidly because, as you know, I'm kind of a time person. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. They were so hungry for what this man had to bring. I can tell you the Greg Glyer, they were hungry for what he had to bring. Hungry for it. We don't know what we have here. We don't know. We must be prayerful. We must be determined. And we must trust him to lead and guide us as individuals that we might venture. And when his family heard it, now here's an interesting thing about family. We love our families. But ultimately, Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Father. His family heard that these crowds had gathered. They knew it. Massive things were going on. And when your yard is filled with 10,000 or 20,000 people, it is a fearful thing for people. And when his family heard that it was as they knew in, res in response to their son's uh, teaching, to his charisma, if you will, speaking more of the charismatic gift than the person, it is the might, than the uh, personality. It, the might and power of God was on the man, and even they said he is out of his mind. Now, I assume my interpretation is this is what they're thinking. This is impossible. What's going on here? They're trying to warn people who some have dastardly ideas of what they want to do with this man, and they're just going, he's out of his mind, he's having problems. His own family wanted to diminish his popularity, in a sense mock his intelligence, question his choices, smother the light that was in him. His own family. I suspect his mother and father were trying to rescue him from what they perceived could be certain death. These were kind thoughts, but lacked a heavenly perspective. For this reason, the scripture says, was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. We love our moms, but this was a, a complex relationship Jesus had with his mother and his family. He was never normal. Born of that virgin, that's his mom. At the age of 12, he's there at the temple. Those of you that know the scriptures, and forgive me if you don't, this is not the central message. He's 12 years old. His family goes back to their town, and after three days, he's in some kind of group of people who had gone up to the temple. They discovered that he's gone, a 12-year-old gone, lost. It would make a mother crazy, and a father, and, and the family all goes back to the temple to try to find him. And here is this young man. 
answering questions and involved with the great intellects, the great spiritual intellects of the time. Playing intellectual ping pong with them and probably winning every battle. And his mother says, why did you do this to us? And he says, did you not know I must be about my father's business? There was always an other nature to him, to, that to any rational person might to see, be, feel like it's off balance unless you are the very son of God on a mission. And as a 12-year-old, you have the spiritual maturity to lovingly and gently correct your mother. He did the same thing at the wedding feast of Galilee. Do you remember it? The steward of the feast comes and says, we've run out of wine. And it tells Mary that. And Mary, now apparently beginning to understand the process with the son, that there's been some change in relationship. And he's seen, she's seen in, in some way another example of the miraculous nature, not only of his birth in her, but of his life. And he says, go, she says, go talk to my son. And you know what he did. He prays over the common thing water and it becomes sparkling and beautiful and brilliant, which is a lovely picture of humanity apart from God, and then this beauty and fragrance and wonder and effervescence that happens in a believer's life that changes the world for the very best. Jesus Christ is in the business of offering transfusions of life to a dying world but sometimes the people in our own families are our worst enemies. I spoke to you about when I came to Christ, but I, there were numerous transition periods. Perhaps there were, my mother was in the home. My grandfather was dying. She was very self-sufficient. She took care of everything. She calls me up and says, I'm taking your grandfather to the hospital. He's dying. Basically, I said gently and respectfully, but I said, Mom, you're not taking him. I'm coming home right now. She said, don't come home. I was a law enforcement officer at the time. Don't come home. Uh, I'll handle this. I said, no, I'm coming home. Here's the point. His family still could not believe that he was grown and mature and a man of God. Sometimes it's troubling to families to see their kid is off on some religious tack. Ah, but it was life. It was a venture not to be avoided, but to be uh, compressed, expressed, grasped onto, collected, and, and uh, worthy of our very best effort and the filling of the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. They knew that he was created for something magnificent. She knew it as a 12-year-old. She knew it at the wedding feast. At this moment, she's grown weak. She probably fears her own death along with his, with these massive crowds. And yet, there's resurrection life in her dear son. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem in opposition to him said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. That means Lord of the flies. He is that thing which flies land on. He is possessed by the most evil powers possible, and what he is doing is by the authority of the devil. Something that exists, that Lord of the flies around, dead carcasses. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and that abundant. Do you know him? 
Do you know that he came to give you life and that abundant? Demon-possessed and in league with Satan. Can you imagine the family hearing this calumny, this disgraceful, vulgar epithet without being revolted and, and fearful of the very nature of some of these people that were coming after them. Can there be any greater curse than he is demon-possessed and in league with Satan? Can there be any darker accusation? He calls to them in response. He calls to the people and with a response measured and calibrated to bring these alleged scholars to their intellectual knees as he points out the illogic of their statement as it's plain to any of us in the, in the vicious nature of the accusation. He is obviously quite the opposite of the devil. And he called them to him, the scribes and the Pharisees, and said to them in parables, heavenly stories with an earthly meaning. He's bringing heaven to their ears and hopefully to their hearts. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. We in Virginia certainly are aware of the Civil War. And if that house that was America had remained divided, we would be undone. Something massively wrong would have happened. But that was not God's plan and purpose. And, verse 26, if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. Coming to an end. If Satan, he is saying, is fighting against Satan, this is a form of spiritual suicide. He's trying to kill himself. Illogical. But no one can enter a strong man's house. Now he's speaking of himself, not the strong man. The strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Again, I came that they might have life and have it abundant. I came to destroy all the works of the evil one. I am not uh, Satan fighting Satan, which would be a null situation in terms of uh, the battle. There is no battle there. There is an enjoining. What I am is the one who came to defeat evil, to pour light on darkness, to exchange sweetness for bitter, to give life where there is death. Truly I say to you, he's talking to these guys, and he loves them. And this is strong medicine. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter, and he's saying that's what you're doing, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. They were saying he is demon incarnate, the demonic incarnate. Now, the Son of Man now states the sentence for time and eternity of the one who is so bereft of spiritual judgment and so powerfully rebellious, to, so, so dark and inhuman in his actions and thoughts as to call the Almighty God and his heavenly spirit a curse. That's a bad thing. If he does not repent that individual, he will be lost forever. Now, at this point, Anyone, it comes to one's mind, have I cursed the Holy Spirit? Have I offended him? Is there something to be done here? And if that thought uh, uh, is entertained in your mind, that means you haven't 
or certainly what you have done is forgivable. I remember as a child, and what was interesting, as I prepared this, this was part of my preparation, and I'm reading Bunyan's work, and he had the exact same experience perhaps we, many of us do. I'm 13 years old, and I pray in my bed, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that kind of thing. And you hear this voice in the background. It's probably just my mind or worse. I don't even want to know what it was, but it would curse. It would uh, offer profanities and stuff while I'm trying to pray. And every time I would try to pray, this would happen. So what I did was I stopped praying. Interesting tactic, don't you think? Bunyan had the same experience. I wonder how many do. And I could have wondered if I'd been cast off by the Lord in some way because of the inward sin in my nature. But the fact of the matter is that if you have any concern about sin, if you have sinned, confess it, and he who is faithful and just will forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When he's talking about an eternal sin, something will, that will damn you to hell for all eternity, it is a relentless turning away from God and an intense hatred for his son. It is nothing like some tiny thought that you had on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. The Son of Man now states the sentence for time and eternity. There's a scholar named R. Allen Cole, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's, it's my ideas, but I liked what he said on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Mark. The hardened heart who will not see, blind, this is who he's describing, this is who Jesus is talking to, blind by reason of obstinate pride. These alleged scholars who were scholars of demonic, of the demonic, of the darkness, and rebellion utterly without the person of the Spirit, utterly opposed to his existence and work, even having seen his miraculous power and nature, they blaspheme against his holy purpose and person. They willfully close and lock the door leading to heaven behind them. They've locked themselves out. This is the individual. This is unceasing and endless. Think Adolf Hitler. Think any number of scribes who would not relent and who wanted to kill him and nail him and crucify him. Even that would be forgiven the sons of men, confessed. But if you're determined to continue in that hunt, you're going to be lost for all eternity. That's what he's saying, or, or roughly. What is going on in these individuals is they're saying, not thy will, but my will be done, and they will be lost eternally and have committed sins for which there is no remedy. Again, if you feared you've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, you haven't. It is the Spirit of the Lord just digging to set you free from any false conceptions you have. This is a whole life dedicated to the demonic. One theologian called it essential uh, wickedness, as if this were the summation of all wickedness. I like what famed theologian H.B. Sweet said many years ago. He said, to identify the source of good with the impersonation of evil, that's Jesus, implies a moral wreck for which the incarnation itself provides no remedy. And his mother and father, is, and his mother and his brothers came. His father was there as well, spiritually. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. They're scared. This is my interpretation. Maybe it's not the correct one, but that's what I'm thinking. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and brother are outside seeking you. 
And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whosoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. That's what he was about. He is no longer the son of Mary. He is the very son of God, and he has moved into the position of maturity and maximum ministry. He will venture. He will lose security. He will lose friends. He will lose family. He will lose almost any, everything that is transitory. The right to marry, the right in a sense to have real flesh children. His servant, Gret Glyer, made the same choice, leaving everything and sprinting after the cross of Jesus Christ. He walked away from home and job, not irresponsibly, but according to the clarion call of God. What is he causing you to dare to do? He became a wanderer, wanderer but a purposeful one with no place to lay his head. I want to conclude with, in this way. I hope and pray that the Lord will make us like that song, Dare to Be a Daniel, Dare to Stand Alone, Dare to State Your Purpose, Dare to Make It Lone, uh, Make It Known. As a child, I wrote down one thing on a piece of paper that asked what I wanted to do, that I might win as many people to Christ as I could. The Lord has, has been gracious to me to allow me to do something in that regard in my life. And if anything good has come, it's, it's been all him. Trust me on that. There are in this world people like Gled and Heather Glyer who are ordinary heroes involved with an extraordinary God they ventured. John Bunyan, and I'll conclude with this, my hope is that we, as a church, become more than conquerors, not trusting in our own work ethic or in our tormented souls guiltily going about the work of the kingdom, rather being so filled with the Spirit, it becomes our joy and our, our pledge, our venture. John Bunyan, drafting his famous book on the Christian journey, Pilgrim's Progress, says this, speaking of his imprisonment, my imprisonment for Christ's gospel might end on the gallows for all that I could tell when he was locked up. He feared they were going to hang him. His fear was paralyzing, and so powerful was the fear that he was overwhelmed by shame at his mental and emotional collapse. His courage failed him from anxiety. But the God he served put these thoughts in his mind as he contemplating ascending the gallows he might soon be facing. Methought, I was ashamed to die with a pale face and tottering knees for such a cause as this. God gave him the strength to determine this. Wherefore thought I, I am going, I am for going on and venturing my eternal state with Christ, whether I have comfort here or no. If God does not come in, thought I, 
I will leap off the ladder, even blindfold into eternity, sink or swim, come heaven, come hell. Lord Jesus, if thou wilt catch me, do. If not, I will venture for thy name. Jesus Christ ventured for you. And does. To this moment, he ventures through you also as his disciples. His you are, and him you serve. Let's bow our heads to pray. May the Lord Jesus imbue us with such faith and power that, Lord, help us. We will leap as his disciples into the sea of humanity, venturing boldly, inspired and filled with his intrepid nature, that the world may know that God has sent his Son to save those perishing, burdened with sins, impoverished, and without hope. Let this be our battle cry of love. I will venture for thy name. If that is your desire, or if you desire to know Jesus Christ, just, just raise up the hand of your heart and Lord, say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, give me strength and courage to dare to venture and put in my heart your ideas that I may perform them in your power. I ask this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that in faith, he's heard it and he will act.